<laughs> All right, welcome to week seven. Uh, this is the same slide as last week because we're still on what does the Bible say about poverty and wealth. Uh, two things came up in the news this week. Uh, I like this quote. Uh, this comes from uh, people in Africa who talk about dealing with Americans. Uh, when the elephant and the mouse dance, the elephant has fun and the mouse gets squashed. Uh, let's talk about, uh, both these came up. Used clothing kills net Nigerian textile industry. Uh, where, guess where the used clothing comes from? The United States. It's all that people put stuff, you know, some of it goes to Goodwill, some of it gets bundled. There, there are companies that create they just grab clothes that are donated, they bundle them, they put them in a container, they ship them to Africa or Asia. Uh, it talks about how in, I love this picture because you have a traditional dress, uh, which is cotton grown in Nigeria, woven in Nigeria, sewn in Nigeria. Uh, and then you have, uh, this of course is a soccer, I'm trying to remember which team this is. Uh, it's from, I guarantee it's from the United States. Uh, but that's what happens. You get these large piles, they go through it, they pick it. Because they're dumping so cheap, you can't, the Nigerians can't afford to uh, weave and, and sew anymore. And so what has happened is, uh, this happened, it's happened in Kenya, it's happened in Ethiopia, it's happened in Uganda, places where they can grow cotton, is that the, the textile industry has basically been destroyed. Uh, because a outfit like this cost about $5 US to grow, sew, uh, fit to somebody. This outfit costs about 32 cents. Uh, because it's, it's just, it's donated over, and so people vote with their money. You know, if, if it cost me $5 or 32 cents, I'm spending 32 cents and I can eat better. Uh, so. It, this is another example of when they're doing relief, when they should be doing development. Because now the problem is, if someone quits shipping U.S. clothes over to them, there's going to be a lot of naked Nigerians, because right, because it's gone. Uh, another one close. Uh, this is in yesterday's paper. Uh, U.S. to ship peanuts to feed Haitian kids. Uh, on paper, sending 140. Enough peanuts to feed 100, peanuts are high protein. And in uh, Haiti, they grow well. So the diet in Haiti, breakfast is a peanut butter-like thing for almost everybody. So it's not, you know, we think like you're sending peanuts to feed breakfast, you know, that's like cruelty to children. But in, ha in Haiti, that's a normal breakfast. Uh, they, they basically make this uh, nutrient-enhanced peanut butter. Uh, and so the U.S. Department of Agriculture uh, is going to ship 500 metric tons, that's uh, 1,100,000 pounds of peanuts to Haiti. That's enough to feed 140,000 school children for an entire breakfast for an entire year. And it sounds like, man, what a great thing to do, right? What this does is there are 50 USA groups over there that are uh, protesting this. USAID, which is another government agency, is protesting this because they said, We're, we've been spending millions of dollars to teach Haitians how to grow peanuts. You're now dropping a million pounds of peanuts 
in Haiti, and this is the talk about the elephant and the mouse. In the United States, in 2014, there was a farm bill that paid people to grow peanuts because we needed to stimulate them. So they grew an extra 140,000 metric tons between 2014 and 2016, more than the market could bear. So the deal was, if you, if you grew the peanuts and you couldn't sell them, you can just give them to the government in exchange for writing off your loan. So the U.S. Department of Agriculture has 140,000 metric tons of peanuts sitting in warehouses. And so they're trying to figure out what to do with it. So they're giving it to Haiti. However, the United States, 140,000 metric tons was like 15% of our production. That is roughly 500% of Haiti's peanuts production. So in doing this, they're about to wipe out the Haitian uh, peanut farmers, which then two years from now, when we've now distributed all these peanuts, and the Haitians have to go back making their own peanut butter, there's not gonna be any farmers left because there's no money. So it's, it's little stuff like that that it sounds really great, but you have to look at the longer term stuff. And what it comes down to is when you start giving stuff, you have to understand why you're giving it. Uh, and then uh, for those of you who knew Dave Vanderpool uh, with Live Beyond, he's struggling with this because that's one of the things they're teaching all the guys to do is grow peanut. Peanuts grow really well in dry uh, soil. Uh, it, they don't require a lot of water. They're high protein. They're a really great crop. So it, that's what he's been doing is doing two things. One is teaching them how to grow peanuts. The other is teach them how to grow chickens and get eggs. So in this year alone, you got the Department of Agriculture dropping 500 metric tons of peanuts in, and you've got another branch Department of Agriculture flying eggs to Haiti because we have so many extra eggs in the United States. So they're managing to wipe out two industries in one, in one year, which has got to be a new record for the government. But just to give you an idea of what's... Uh, yes, they will, actually. They will. They do. That's part, that's part of how you feed them. But then you have to send the chickens first. Right. Uh, so, yeah. So, so it's still going on about people trying to help people, and then they end up hurting them long term. Yes? You know, I... I really do get it, and uh, I guess my question is: Is there, I mean, is there legitimate? Is there a legitimate crisis there? I mean, it sounds what you're saying sounds logical. But I mean, we're sending all this food, so are they starving right now? I mean, it sounds good that we they can grow their own chickens and they can grow their own. So what if we didn't send? What's I guess that's what I'm saying. Well, I mean, that's a really good question. And that's where you have to go in your mindset when you're dealing with relief organizations, either here in the United States or overseas. What happens if I don't do this? And a lot of times, the cry, you have to determine, when you talk about a crisis, relief should only occur in the presence of a crisis. But the crisis is determined by the people involved, not by you. So if you go ask, we'll take the peanuts in Haiti, you go ask the Haitians, 
Do you have a crisis? Or is it any different now than it was last year or two years ago? Their answer would be no, it isn't. It's the same as it's always been. Now, it's a totally different level than what we're used to. And that's the problem. If I put us all on a plane and flew you to Haiti, when you got off the plane, you go, wow, this is poverty. Because we still think of material things as poverty. And you go, oh, these people, are, these people, they don't have access to everything I've got access to. So therefore, there must be a crisis. And I want to give them things. It's, 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 a, it's a heart response to what you see. But as um, I, I, don't know, I don't know who made this quote, but I remember this from a pulpit some time ago. He says, God both gave you a head and a heart. You have to use both of them. Head alone has no mercy. Heart alone, you end up hurting people because you might do things that are in their long term not their best interest. And so you got to use both. And so part of that is you got to talk to the people. And that's the hard part about room at the end, about uh, inner city ministries, about going to Haiti, going to Africa, going to Guatemala, is you have to have a relationship with the people that's good enough that you can say, what really do you need and how can I help you get that? Because, uh, you know, Jane's done enough with me to know that when you go somewhere, like if I go to Africa, I'm seen as automatically the rich American. Anything I ask them if they want, the answer will be Yes, whether they want it or not. It's, it's because part of it's cultural. It, it is very bad form to turn down gifts. So by me asking, I'm giving them a gift and they're gonna take it no matter what, whether they want it or not. Uh, we're laughing uh, in our hospital in Malawi, the, the junk room is full of stuff. People have donated to the hospital. We have found a meat slicer in there, you know, like you do in a deli. Uh, we have French fry, French fry fryers, uh, French fry fryer baskets, and they're going like, how did this end up in a hospital in Africa? I mean, just seriously, how did, I mean, someone had to have shipped it over here because it's all got U.S. stickers on it and it's got U.S. plugs on it. So I go like, someone had to have shipped this over here. Why would you ship it over here? Last year I found um, mini blinds, you know, the dusters that you put between your mini blinds. <laughs> Every year there's some, I'm like, <laughs> Yeah. Right. So it's, <laughs> so all the mini blinds they don't have on their windows. I mean, we're, 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 we're trying to get glass in the windows. We have mini blinds. <laughs> Yes. So, so we need to create a mini-blind ministry to ship to Africa because we want mini-blinds on our windows. So we have mini-blinds on our windows. They should have mini-blinds on the windows. Ignore the fact they need glass first. But, I mean, it's, you know. And mini-blinds are kind of passe. They're cast, I know. We really should do shutters. Plantation shutters. Uh, which they would just take off and burn, by the way, because they're wood. Or used for some other purpose. Right. We, we would have shutters for the week that we were there. And then when we come back a year from now, they would be gone. Yeah, they'd be shelves or they'd be someone's door or they, they'd be somewhere. Or they, they would have burned them for, 
fuel during that during the winter. Uh, so part of that is you know you really have to develop relationships to understand what you're giving. All right, last so we spent a lot on private property and land rights as part of Christian community. We're going to do the flip the coin over because part totally connected to the concept of rights and property is this concept of stewardship and generosity. You cannot talk about one without talking about the other. And they are connected. Oh, hang on, my battery's about to die. Uh, boy, I hope there's a plug here somewhere. Up there, up, 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 behind that pole. Behind the pole, oh, there it is. All right, let's talk about ownership and stewardship. As Americans, we have a serious problem with this concept, that there is a difference. Ownership, I control all aspects of the property. I set priorities and limits. We're Americans, we're capitalists. We're all about ownership, right? It's about ownership. Biblical, there is no ownership. There's stewardship. Stewardship concept, I use the property according to the predetermined priorities which are set by the owner. Part of being a Christian is understanding that I don't own this. It's all God's. God gives it to me to use and to steward, but to use it with the priorities he set, not the priorities I set. And so when you approach things that way, it changes your attitude on property, on money, uh, and part of this gets into the who was in their early service. All right, late service people, put your ears finger in it. I don't want to take Josh's things around. He's talking about fear and control, which gets totally into this stewardship, because if it's not yours, I don't really. I I'm concerned that I want to be a good steward. I don't want to lose it. But if the owner decides that I don't get to have it anymore, it's not the end of my life. And so this, this is a constant battle because our uh, culture pushes this. The Bible pushes this. Any thoughts, comments? Uh, and going along with the confusion between ownership and stewardship uh, is the concept of greed. Uh, unlike Gordon Gecko, greed, for lack of a better word, is not good. Uh, this we're going to be spend a little time in this Luke 12 passage because there are two stories back to back in here that are really bare on stewardship and ownership. Uh, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man, who has appointed me a judge or an arbitrator between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be in your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist of an abundance of possessions. Which makes, by the way, Jesus un-American here. 
our, our, our entire culture is the opposite of that. Uh, if you watch any TV, you watch any commercials, it, it's, you know, there's very little commercials for Dogs Without Borders, Red Cross, Salvation Army, except at Christmas time when they have to, the TV stations do it because they want to make everyone think they're good. Uh, uh, this is a really, really interesting uh, passage that he's setting up something coming on later. Uh, but everyone asks, you know, why, why can't Jesus tell him to divide the inheritance? Uh, and the good part about this passage is Jesus understands. You know, we talk about when the, people ask Jesus questions, a lot of times they don't really want to hear the answer. Or more importantly, they want to hear an answer that they have already predetermined that he should give them. Uh, last week we had the, uh, uh, the rich young ruler. You know, I've done all these things. What, do I, what must I do to have an eternal life? You know, we talked about that. There, there are two answers to that. You know, he either has a predetermined answer, it's a rhetorical question, or he really is asking seriously. But the answer is the same either way. This guy's uh, understanding how... In the, in the Jewish first century, inheritance is predetermined. There's no dividing the inheritance. It's already predetermined by your birth order. The oldest son gets a certain amount. The next sons all get a certain amount. So there's no, uh, you can't, he, he wants Jesus to articulate a new law that says, hey, change the law of Moses. That's, what, that's really what he's asking him here, is to come to him and say, uh, change, change what my father has already said in his will, change what the, the custom is, change what the teaching is, change what the law of Moses says, because I want more. And Jesus sees through this immediately and says, you know, this is greed. And this also gets back to what we talked about in the, in the sermon this morning, fear control. Because there, there's no, he, he's grasping for everything. There's no trust in God that God's going to take care of him. Or there's also no trust in his brother. Because in those days, your family had, you know, we looked at scriptures last week, your family has to take care of you. So he's also telling, you also see in this that he's saying my brother's not going to take care of me. I need my stuff to take care of me because I don't trust my brother. And then the other thing that is also goes back to is the father has to still be alive. Uh, and he's basically told him what the plan is. So what you have here is back to the prodigal son concept is that the father, the, the son is like greedy. He's like, my dad's not even dead. I'm treating him like he's dead and I want you to give me more money. Uh, so he, he talks about kinds of greed. All right, then he launches into this parable. Uh, the, these are back to back in Luke 12. Uh, There's a ground, a ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. This is America today. We are, this is peanuts, right? We got 140,000 metric tons of peanuts that nobody has warehouses for because they grew too many. So we're going to give them away to people. Except we're not going to give, this guy's not going to give them away. 
He says, what am I going to do? Well, I'll tear down my barns, build bigger ones, and I'll store my surplus grain. And because you have plenty of grain left for many years, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Eat, drink, and be merry. Uh, what's that Greek philosophy? Epicurean philosophy, isn't it? Which actually, which is one of the reasons he put this in here. This is, that was a huge philosophy of the day. It's a huge philosophy today. You know, make so much money that I can enjoy the rest of my life without worrying about anything. And then exactly what Josh talked about this morning, the more you have, the more you worry. Because then you worry someone's going to take it away from you, or you're going to lose it. That gets back to the ownership-stewardship difference. When you're the owner, and you've got to, you know, I'm constantly trying to hold on to it because I'm afraid I'm going to lose it. But I'm the steward, the owner can do with it what he wants. And if he takes it from me, the owner takes it from me. Uh, so this is, I think, here is Jesus coming, again, understanding that, you know, prosperity theology at the time was one of the overwhelming Jewish theologies, which is, <clears throat> if you're a prosperity theology guy, this is the most blessed guy on earth. He has so much grain, he's got to tear down his barns and build bigger ones. And this is Jesus coming back and saying, again, you, you have your priorities totally wrong. Because uh, part of this gets to this co concept here. Th this is a lot like America. He had an abundant harvest. What did the rich man do to make the harvest abundant? Zero. He's a rich guy. He's not working in the fields. In the, in the first century, if you were rich, you did not work your fields. You hired people to work your fields. You didn't make the rains come. That's an overwhelming biblical theme. God makes the rains come. God makes the plants grow. And so this abundant harvest is a gift from God. It is, the guy had nothing to do with it. I mean, he didn't even harvest this stuff. He hired people to harvest it. He hired people to plant it. He hired people to plow it. And then he, then he went and harvested it. Uh, You've all heard the uh, saying, you know, there are some guys that were born on third base and walk around their entire life thinking they hit a triple. Uh, that's America today. That's Brentwood today. Most of us, because of the, we'll call the accident of our birth, where we were born, we tend to think that we're self-made men because we're standing on third base. We, you know, we're phenomenally wealthy. And the biblical view of that is that, yeah, yeah, God does reward his disciples. The Bible is full of that. But you have to use the attitude of it's God's material and he is rewarding me and I need to use it for God's glory and God's good. Not, it's mine, I'm a self-made man, I was born, you know, I, you know, I was born and I worked hard and now I've created this huge estate, you know, this huge job, and it's all about me. It all comes back to this concept of abundant harvest, which is, it all comes from God. God rewards you. So when you get that reward, it's not because God owes you a reward. It's God, God chooses to reward you and use it, and then you use that in ways that fulfill your giftedness 
and where God has put people in your life that need help. And then, because the other part of this particular parable, he talks about, and take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. When you go back and look at Jewish, the Old Testament, you're never, the rich people are never called to eat, drink, and be merry. If you're rich, your job is to take care of all the people rest of you in your village that have had problems for whatever reason. It's not hang out, hang out and, you know, eat, drink, and be merry. You know, I, I'm trying to think of what the equivalent today. Party, party yeah. Uh, you know, ha have a party every weekend. Uh, and, you know, there's a bunch of passages we're not going to get into about who do you, if you do have a party, who do you invite to your party? That's a whole different story. You're allowed to have parties, but you better be careful who you invite. Because Jesus got a few parables about that as well. The Great Gatsby. The Great Gatsby, yes. Great Gatsby, a great film if you want to look at people that take the ownership to the nth degree. Uh, and, you know, because we've all read it, we all read it in high school, all wrote papers in high school and college. Uh, it's that attitude of the consumerism that I'm here to consume stuff and to use stuff. Uh, so when you get into the concept of stewardship, uh, if, you're, if you have issues with uh, ownership and stewardship, don't read the book of James. Ja James is very, very, very straightforward. Uh, you know, this is James, the younger, you know, you talk about a guy who had a tough life. This is the younger brother of Jesus. I mean, you talk about an older brother who does everything. Yeah. Uh, he, he and Jude, I'm sure, get together and, uh, I mean, that, that, that would be tough. Uh, but, you know, and so, but he's, he has very, very, very straightforward book. The reason I like it is that it's, it's not hard to interpret James. There, there's not a lot of semantic dancing with James. The religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, boom, to look after widows and orphans in the distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I mean, he's pretty straightforward. Uh, widows and orphans in the first century, those are the people because uh, property rights went through the man. If your husband died, you have no property. It reverts back to the nearest male Relative. This is like for Pride and Prejudice fans and early English stuff and uh, Downton Abbey. Uh, who, Matthew, you know, he was the uh, the third cousin that no one had ever met, but he was the he was the oldest living rightful heir. You know, he had nothing to do with him. He just happened to be born in the right place, and enough people died in front of him that, sure enough. Uh, and so, you know, widows and orphans were basically powerless. Uh, you know, this is a, in this period of time, they had what we call commodity currency, basically gold, silver. There was no, you know, you couldn't like bank up stuff for your wife. So if you died, it was primarily growing stuff. She was out of luck. There's, there's not a lot of material things that you could bank for your family. So you are very dependent on God in this. And so when he talks about widows and orphans, he's talking about all those people that are that don't have the ability to take care of themselves. Remember, if we go back to my little uh, uh, that one, 
you know, you, about taking care, you have to take care of yourself and then your family, your church, and your world. There are times where you don't have that ability. And so that's what James is saying is, is pure religion, is that other people in your circle have to help you during that period of time. But, when we look at this in today's world, taking that literally doesn't really fit now because there are a lot of widows who have plenty of what we would call goods and can take care of themselves right. and are, are very well off and um, you know, they may be sad and lonely, so we have to look at that part of it, right. of, the, of what they need. But, um, it's different but, today, so that's more, and you know, we can take that as more people who cannot, who do not have the ability. But to take but, care of but remember, not everything is uh, material. Right. So a lot of widows now have relational poverty, right. and so you you have you have to relate with people where they're at and look at where they're lacking. It's not always money. It may be relation. It may be things to do. Right. Uh, and so, but it's, it's the same concept of you have to take care of those people. You have to get pe people who, you know, we looked at the Galatians passage last week about those who are being crushed by their load. You know, your job is to help them. Your job is to keep yourself ready to help other people. But, you know, but everyone at periods of time gets crushed by, by things outside of your control. And so our job as disciples is to be in relation with people so that when those times occur, we can help them. And when we get crushed, they can help us. It's a, it's a two-way street. Uh, here's John. Uh, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother and sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words and speech, but with actions and truth. Once again, John's pretty simple. Uh, if, you see, if you see somebody that you can help and you don't help them, uh, you're, you're not at, you're, the love of God is not in you. What's helping though? What's helping? That's right. That's the whole rest of this class. Right. So if you have extra peanuts and you see somebody that likes peanuts, peanuts. It, yes. Uh, as long as you have a relationship with them and realize, it, it, like this gets about what helping hurts. It, it's 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 that you really you really that's. That's really easy, and you're right, and, and that's how a lot, of, a lot of people work, is that I've got this, they need that, I'll give them that. But part of that is, if you go back uh, to our friend from San Diego came talking about this, you have to ask the people who you're trying to help and in discussion with them, what do you really need? Uh, yeah, because if I've got, like everything else, I've got peanuts, everyone else is going to, you know, if I've got an excess of peanuts, everyone else is going to be a peanut fan, right? Because that's all i got to give. They may not want peanuts. They may not need peanuts. They may be peanut allergic. Uh, and so, you know, you need to find other ways to help them. But you really have to, part of it is you have to develop the relationship with the people to be able to talk with them and find out what do they really need. That's interesting. I never really read it like that, but 
tell people the truth without using words and speech. You know, even right there, it's speaking with your actions by doing what the person's supposed to ask them what they need. So how right. does that work? Well, but what do you do with the surplus that you pick if people don't need your surplus? What do you do with it? You build bigger barns. Bigger barns. Uh, no. Uh, I mean, no, there is always places you can use your surplus. God, it's part of stewardship. Uh, some of the pastors we're not going to look at that, you know, looks at the one, two, and five talent people and how they get more. Uh, a lot of that concept is you will have excess. The reason God gives you excess is not for you to build bigger barns and to have more cushion. God gives you more excess because then you can use that to talk, work in other people's lives, help other people. Uh, well, and, and the, the big part of this story is that if you think that story is about the barns, you've missed the point of the story. Right, it's not about the barns. Barns are okay. You've got to put the peanuts right. somewhere. Right, at some point you've got to have barns, yes. Because, there, because you, for, for those of you who have not grew, not, did not grow up on a farm, you only harvest once a year. If you don't build barns, you get really hungry about six months after the harvest. Uh, and so, you know, that gets us back to God gave you a brain and a heart. You have to build barns. The key is, and the key behind all this concept of stewardship is the difference between want and need. What I need to be comfortable, to be where I'm at, and what I want are two totally different things. And the key is to make your want and your need the same. But once again, back to America, we have a whole industry that is here to create wants that are not our needs. Uh, and so, but the, the part of Christian discipleship is understanding what our needs are and making sure those are filled. And then once you're in excess of your needs, that's where you, find people that are around you that you can talk you can work with and be in their lives and use your surplus for them that's not always money however that may be time that may be talents that may be education there's lots of things yes So then where from here? So Haiti, probably not a great idea. Uh, all sorts of other places that might be damaging. But are we just not being thoughtful enough about the pockets of relief that maybe do exist or opportunities for relief that do exist? In other words, are, yeah. is, there any place in the, is there any place in the world or in the country uh, or in our city, for example, where that might be helpful rather than just say, ah, oh, Haiti... Poor people, bad economy, dumb. Yeah, and, and part, part of that is doing develop, uh, relief and develop, relief recovery and develop. Recovery and development requires time and thinking. We talked about why, why a lot of ministries still exist to do relief when, they don't, when that's not the appropriate response. Relief, it may, it's easier. Uh, it's great. Uh, photo ops 
you know, if you're a politician, uh, I won't, by the way, I won't tell you whose foundation's involved in this, but she is running for president. Uh, <laughs> is, is channeling some of this in. Uh, it's a great photo op. I mean, I, it's for, you know, in Tennessee, for those of you who have ever worked for the legislature, it's all about the children, right? Every bill that comes out is about the children. Uh, who's that? J uh, Jimmy Na Nafee always said that. Every bill that came up was about, it's for the children. And I mean, no matter what. I mean, a highway bill is for the children, so the children can get to school better. Uh, it didn't matter that the, the road was in his district. But yeah, it's all for the children. It's all for the children, right? Vacation. Yes, yeah. it's for the children. Uh, and so, you know, it's the same thing. It's, that's a great, you know, we're feeding 140,000 children. How can you be against that? I mean, there are, and it gets back to where if you have, if you spent time there, you would understand, like a lot of the, I mean, to get 50 aid, aid agencies to agree on anything is amazing because you're, you're all over the theological spectrum. From the ultra liberal to the ultra conservative, they all agree on the same thing: is that importing 500 metric tons of peanuts is a really bad idea because it's going to destroy the peanut farmers. And, and back to his point about you know, don't we not be mindful? Um, yeah, I'm sure that if we put a lot of elbow grease into it, we could find places for that particular resource to go. But the the question, back to Mike Haskins, is okay. Now that we know that peanuts are not good for Haiti, well, what is? Right, right. And, and, and that's that's where we start getting into what's real, right? Right, and that's the, the and the problem with that is that that is uh, it's non-concrete. It may take years to come up with that answer, and so that is a and if you're a uh, if you're a bureaucrat in the U.S. Department of Agriculture uh, that's got a budget. You don't want to go to the guys and say, "Oh, by the way, we're doing a we're doing a project that I may not get the answer for five budget cycles from now, five years." Uh, that that's not going to go well in how we do things. It's we want immediacy. You know, I want to solve this problem. How am I going to solve this problem? I got 500 metric tons of peanuts. Boom, solved. Uh, but that's the hard part about poverty alleviation is it's relational which is slow, it's messy. It's, you know, yeah, like, like we said, you know, the church is a beautiful thing except for all the people in it. Because that's where it gets messy. So if you back up, there really wasn't a, a, a surplus of peanuts, a natural surplus. It was because it was, it was uh, supported by a government program to aid what was perceived as a need by the farmers. By the peanut farmers who had a really good lobby. Which, if you back up from that, it, the source didn't doesn't really need to be solved at the level of what you need to do with the peanuts. It needs to go back and address the issue of why and how else could you address that issue right. without growing peanuts that you don't need. Right. I mean, the other question you have to ask is why did the Chinese loan us the money to pay the peanut farmers to grow the peanuts we didn't need? <laughs> To give to the Haitians to destroy. I, so, so you can actually say that the Chinese wanted to destroy the Haitian peanut farmers. That's, that's really the name of this. Yeah, okay. You're just uh, not figuring this out. That's right. Because they want to take over. Because Haiti is such a great place, they want to take it over. Uh, but yeah, you're right. It's, it's, it's like everything else. You, you, 
it requires some thought and it's it's not a direct you know a equals b i'm done you have to look what happens to b c d and e and that's the hard part about doing this is that you have to have some wisdom and you have to have the ability to be involved for extended lengths of time it's not boom done you know but if you just deal deal with the surplus yeah. of peanuts and put band-aid, you never... Right, right. There, there's that. always going to be peanuts or corn or wheat or somewhere, something here. And Ethiopia, Uganda, Kenya, Malawi is always going to be short of something. So we can always dump our excess crop somewhere. Yes? Right. We're not supposed to sit in our little fortress homes, stuff full of money, stuff, and things, and go, I just, can't, I don't know what to do. You're right. It's, it's, because I'm, a, once again, back to fear. I'm afraid of making a mistake, so I'm not going to do anything. Yes, sometimes you ship peanuts. The key in life is don't ship peanuts twice. You can do it once and then go, ooh, that was not a good idea. Let's change something. Or, or as it, don't repeat your mistakes, make fresh ones, right? Make new ones every time, a new mistake. All right, we're, we're a little over time, so.